good to see you here today. Amen. Welcome to Beckwith Baptist Church. And this is our first Sunday as your pastor. And we thank the Lord for that. And uh, so we, we certainly are glad to be here serving. And we're glad to, to just rejoice with you and fellowship. And I've enjoyed that song service already as I do every Sunday. It's just good to hear good godly music, to be stirred to the soul, right? And what about those precious hymns? Every day with Jesus. Hey, one day it's literally going to be every day with Jesus. And uh, we got a lot to look forward to. Amen? So that's, that's, that's good. You're right, Brother Richard. That's, we're just practicing uh, because one day we're going to really be worshiping in his presence. And uh, what a day that is going to be. It's going to be so awesome. And we thank the Lord for that. Well, it's good to have you here. And we're glad you made it out today. Uh, a little bit of a, a dreary day, a little overcast, and uh, not sure what the weather's doing. But that's all right because... Uh, you know, the Lord is uh, brighter than the sun, right? And in heaven, he will be the light. Amen? And so it's always a sunshiny day with Jesus, and uh, we can keep that in our hearts and encourage us as we go. Uh, I think the sun is supposed to find its way out and shine a little bit this week and uh, get a little break from the rain, so that'll be good. It'll be nice, and uh, we'll enjoy that together. Take your Bibles, if you would, if you uh, have the Word of God, and let's open to the book of John, John chapter 14. And I want to share a few thoughts with you this morning. John chapter 14, and we'll read verses 1 through 6. A very familiar passage uh, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he certainly brings some good words to them in this chapter. Of course, it's all good, isn't it? We could just say, open it up anywhere. Boy, it's all, it's all good, and it's all what we need. But let's look together at this portion today. So if you found your place, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Uh, we'll have prayer and then begin right there in verse 1 of John chapter 14. So let's pray together. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you for your word and how sweet and how precious it is. And so, Lord, during this time of our uh, time of worship, as we just open the word of God, Lord, we just come with hungry hearts and we dedicate this time to you. Lord, we pray you'd be our teacher and guide through the scriptures. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do your work in our lives. Lord, we just yield and, and uh, Lord, we, we submit to you and we ask that you would come and, and just make the message personal for us. Make it plain today. Show us what you'd have us do. And may the word of God bring comfort and encouragement and hope to us today. We thank you for giving us this precious word. And bless us now as we study and rejoice in it. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Verse number 1, John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Thank you so much. You may be seated. What a great passage of Scripture. And I know you've heard messages from this passage before. The Lord is giving some great words of encouragement that I want to call today truth for a troubled heart. Yes, the disciples sat around the Lord Jesus at this time with troubled hearts. 
This chapter follows the previous, chapter 13, where the event that took place that we refer to as the Last Supper. They just sat around and ate with the Lord Jesus. And during this time of fellowship together, this time of communion, he revealed to them some things that that really troubled them. Jesus often referred to the events that were coming. And he taught and forewarned them of Calvary and, and things to come. But the Bible says the disciples, they really didn't understand all that. We can relate, can't we? There are times when I open my Bible and I don't really understand it all either. Get the dictionary out, get the commentary out. Uh, you know, let's look up a few things and let's try to put all these pieces together. You know, and after years of studying the Bible, there's still some prophecies that I don't really quite get. And that's because God didn't give us every detail. He didn't give us all the pieces. He gave us the parts he wanted us to know. It's all right, because he's God. He, he can do that. Amen? If we knew it all, then we'd be, we'd be God, but we don't know it all. We have to depend on him. We have to trust him, right? And we, we follow him with what he's given us, the things that he wanted us to have. John said if everything were written that could be written, the world itself could not contain the books. So I find it interesting that God gave us just one volume, one book containing 66 books. Right? Small portions that we can read and study. And out of all that that could be written, God narrowed it down to this. And you know, it's a good thing he did. Have you ever read this thing cover to cover? It's a pretty good challenge, isn't it? It's pretty hard to read the Bible all the way through and get every word, right? It takes some doing to do that. If we had many volumes, well, we'd probably never get to it all. But I'm just thankful that during this time of difficulty, during this time of uneasiness, when when the disciples were unsettled and they sat around the room and they just knew they could sense something's not right, something's about to happen. What is he talking about? And he said, Some, one of you is going to betray me. And they were puzzled about that. They said, Lord, who is it? Some of them said, Lord, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? John looked at Jesus who was sitting right next to him and said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus said, well, it's the one that's going to dip with me in the sop. After a little while passed, that event happened, and Judas was the one who dipped with him. But they didn't catch it, because by then their minds were on to something else, and they were having a hard time putting all this together. And then Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster is finished, before he's done saying good morning, right? It's going to happen. You know, Peter was the one who was bold, eager, Peter was like, no, not me, Lord. Yes. You know, the truth is sometimes we don't really know what we're capable of or, or maybe in this sense what we're not capable of. And so all these things were buzzing around in their mind, in their heart. They were on the heels of what was about to be known as the, the Calvary, the cross, the crucifixion of the Lord, and they were troubled. And in this setting, Jesus speaks to them. And, and our text is given. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Isn't that something? So in order to calm the troubling hearts of the disciples, the Lord Jesus gave them some truth. Some things that they could hold on to. You know, we sing that song that says we have an anchor. Well, Jesus personally is our anchor. But until we see him, we are we are held and we are anchored by the truths that he's given to us. 
And that's why the Bible is so important. That's why God's word is so important because it reveals to us what those truths are, just as Jesus does in this passage. You know, if we had our way, we would just have the Lord remove all our trouble. But that's not God's way. You know, I, I like to work with wood a little bit, and, and I know that there's a purpose for sandpaper. Sandpaper takes off the, the rough edges, and it takes some of those little splintery, splintery ends away, right? Sanding a piece of wood smooths it down and makes it smooth to the touch, gives it a, a ready finish, right? So there's a purpose in the process of sanding. And you know, oftentimes the Lord uses the storms of life, the troubling things. It's kind of like heavenly sandpaper. God is really at work polishing us with that sandpaper. He's really taking off the rough edges, right? He's removing all the stuff in us that don't look like Jesus. He's conforming us to the image of his son. All of those things that he promised in his word that he would do. You remember the story of the potter, uh, uh, the pottery on the wheel and how God told Jeremiah, he said, you're like this pottery, you're like this clay. And he said, and am not I the potter? And don't I have a right to mold the clay that I've made? Certainly he does. So what does God do? He puts us on the wheel of life. We get up on the wheel and God begins to use the events of life to shape and mold us into the people that he'd have us to be. He uses that to, to in the trouble, right? He uses the trouble for us. That's why I like Psalm 107, verse 29. It's a verse that says, He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Isn't that interesting? It didn't say he removed the storm. I guess in essence you could, you could say that when he, when he stood on that boat and said, Peace, be still, and he calmed the seas. I think that's really a picture, though, of what God wants to do in us, what he wanted to do in the hearts of these disciples. He wanted them to have a calm spirit. He wanted them to be calm on the inside while the waves were raging on the outside. Isn't that something? It takes a little power to produce that. It's kind of like when Jesus was sleeping in the boat. As the disciples were trying to row through the storm and the boat was tossed and the wind was blowing and the waves were coming into the ship and they woke him up and they said, Master, we perish. But Jesus was asleep. He wasn't worried about that at all. And I, I believe that that's a, a glimpse of, of Christian maturity that you and I can trust in, in our Savior and we can hope in our God so that we can be calm on the inside when things are turbulent on the outside. God wants to give you some hope this morning, just as he did the disciples. Let not your heart be troubled, he said. So he gave truth for a troubled heart. These were to calm our hearts in troubling times. God gives these as the antidotes to fear. And I share them with you today. Look at verse 1. He said, let not your heart be troubled. And there's not a period there but a colon, which continues the thought and reveals the gem that he's trying to share with the disciples. He said, ye believe in God, believe also in me. Isn't that something? You know what God gave us? First, he gave us faith. Faith is what gives us a calm on the inside when there's turbulence on the outside. 
Faith is what reveals to us that there's more than meets the eye. Because the Bible tells us as believers, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so we don't go by all the things that we see and the world sees. We, we go by the unseen. And, and we look at the things that God has given to us. Jesus said, you believe in God? That's good. He said, now have faith in me. Believe in me also. Who was he? Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Savior, the promised one that would give his life uh, for others, for many. He, he would become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Right? He's the one who took our place, bearing our, our shame and our sin on the cross. And he was saying to the disciples, believe in me. You believe in God? Now believe in me. He was asking them to put their faith in him. Hey, you know, there's a lot of people out in the world that'll say, oh, it's good to believe. There's a lot of people that'll say things like, you know, you got to believe in something. But I submit to you this morning, it's not enough to believe in something. It's not just faith that's powerful, but it's the object of your faith that really holds the power. Because you can misplace that faith. You can put your faith into something that does not save. And that really won't do you any good, will it? There's a lot of people that have put faith in earthly things. They have faith in their life. They have faith in their position, their social status. They have faith in their, in their bank accounts. They have faith in their retirement, their pension, their company, whatever it is, job security. Hey, man, read the paper, watch the news, and you'll find out quickly that overnight all of those things can be lost. But the faith that you put in Jesus Christ, my friend, can never be lost. No one can take that away from you. Because Jesus said when we put faith in him, that he holds on to us in his hand. And that his hand is in the Father's hand. And he said, and no man is able to pluck you out of my Father's hand. Well, I like that. You know, we may lose a lot of things in the turbulence of this life, but we can never lose what we commit to Christ keeping. That's why Paul said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day he's talking about the saving of your soul in that passage you know when we when we put our faith in jesus christ and we come to him for salvation ask him for forgiveness of our sins we would call that saving faith and and very well so because we've we've put our faith in the right person and in the right object it's not enough just to believe in god it's not enough just to go to church it's not enough just to know a little bit about the bible it doesn't become real until you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who bled and died for you. And when he applies that payment that he made on the cross to your life, to your account, oh, that's when change happens. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away and all things are become new. So I ask you this morning, has there been a time that you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Has there been a time that you accepted him into your life? Have you asked him to save you from your sins? Hey, if not, then I want to invite you to do that today. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And when you put yourself in his keeping, you're secure because he's able to keep us. Even Peter said that we are kept by the power of God, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, I don't have to worry about keeping my salvation because he does that. He does the saving 
and he does the keeping. How good is that? Amen? If we had to hold on to it, we'd, ha we'd have some worrying to do because, uh, you know, our grip gets a little loose sometimes. We get weak. We get faint. We get tired. But he never does. There's also sanctifying faith. There's serving faith, teaching us to serve the Lord and, and helping us to, to uh, live for him. Our faith produces so many wonderful fruits in this life, and it gives us a calm that no one can take, a peace that the world doesn't understand. The Bible talks about that peace that passes all understanding. That comes from the faith that we place in Christ. But that's not all. You know, we can relate to those disciples because we're in troubling times. We're in times of uncertainty and doubt and confusion and chaos. We've seen some of that recently. Kind of makes us wonder about tomorrow. But the Bible says we know who holds tomorrow. And not only do we have faith, but in verse 2, he gives us hope. Notice what he says. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Wow, isn't that good? If you're in the habit of marking in your Bible, I would invite you to underline that phrase. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is preparing a place for me? Absolutely. If, if you have invited him to come in your life, if you have asked him to be your savior, if you have put your faith and trust in him for salvation, to forgive you of your sins, then, then that's the next promise. He said, because you've done that, now I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. It's kind of like what we call reservations. Isn't it nice when you go on vacation and you've already planned and you made reservations and all that, and you get there, and look, you know there's, there's a place waiting for me. You drive, you get there late at night, and you're tired, you're ready to just flop down, right? And isn't it good to walk up to the desk knowing that I have reservations? There's a place for me here. There's a room waiting, right? A comfortable place. God gives us that kind of assurance as well. He gives us hope, hope beyond this life, that we have a home in heaven and that everything is prepared and waiting for us. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, not just a place, but a place for you. Psalm 119.42 says, Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Oh, listen, the Bible gives us hope this morning. The Bible gives us a, a hope uh, beyond this life because we know, we read the last chapter of the word, we know how it ends, we know where we're going, we know who we're going to be with, we know who's prepared that place. You know, this promise right here, has become so prevalent in Christianity that that's why people ask this question. And they say, hey, if you died today, do you know for sure that you'd go to be with God in heaven? Why can we ask a question like that? Because he gave us hope. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So can I know that I'm going there? Absolutely. Absolutely, because of the person I put my faith in and because of the promise that he made to me. I remember asking a man that one time, sir, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And he said, well, can anybody know that? I said, yes, sir, absolutely. And I said, you know, that's a great question you ask because Thomas asked the same question in verse 5. Look, he said, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. How can we know the way? Can you know for sure you're going to heaven? Yes. Yes, you can. You know why? Because God gave us directions 
in the Bible. Now before we had said this, that the Bible is God's revelation of himself. The Bible gives us information that we call revelation. God reveals certain truths to us. And we call it revelation because these are truths that we wouldn't know otherwise. Like, like if we rewind, go all the way back to the beginning, the first pages of the Bible, God revealed how all this got started. How the world was created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, right? God created man and woman in the Garden of Eden. God tells us all that. Genesis chapter 3, he tells us about the fall of man. God gave them a commandment, don't eat of this tree. They did. And now people wonder, why do bad things happen? Hey, that's not God's fault. We did that. If you go back to the beginning, God created everything, and he said, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. God gave us all good things. You know, bad things started happening after Adam and Eve, the only two humans around at the time, plunged the human race into sin. And when they did that, they started something that was beyond their understanding. And the Bible tells us that the curse of sin fell upon them and all creation as a result of their deeds. And because of that, every person that was born after that was born in sin. They were born with a sinful nature. That's why David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. He, he didn't mean she had a sinful relationship. He meant that he was born with that sinful nature already implanted within him. It's hereditary. Just like you inherit things from your parents, like the color of your hair or the color of your eyes, you inherit that sinful nature too. And so did I. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It just passed one upon another, generation after generation. We were born with it. You know, people don't think about it. People aren't sinners because they sin. It's the other way. People sin because of who they are, because they are sinners. You know, it's like somebody who's sick. They cough because they're sick. They're not sick because they cough, right? It's the illness that produces the symptom. And shame on us, sometimes we just want the symptom to go away. No, no, you don't want the symptom to go away. You want the source, the root problem to be dealt with. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He dealt with the root problem of sin, the thing that causes us all to go astray. And to do wrong. The thing that produces sin in the world. Jesus dealt with that on the cross. And he offers hope and salvation and forgiveness as a result. So he gave us faith. He gave us hope in verse 2. And the day you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior is the day that you have this promise. That there's a place waiting for you in his Father's house. Oh, what a promise. But that's not all. Hey, if we closed the book there and went home, we could say hallelujah. But, but he gave us a couple more things. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So you know what Jesus is giving us here? You say, well, that's a continuation of the other verse. He's still talking about the place. 
But he also is talking about the promise to come and get us and take us there. So what does that give us? It gives us trust. Wow, that's good. So now we have faith and we have hope. And here the Lord is saying, hey, trust me. If I go to prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come again and bring you to that place. Isn't that what 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful promise? You know, Jesus is saying, trust me. I'm going to take care of all this. It's going to be good. And it certainly is. Hey, let me show you a couple of verses. Turn back, hold your place there and turn back to Proverbs if you would. Proverbs is such a practical book in the Bible because it just deals with life principles. And it gives us witty and wise sayings about life and those things. Proverbs chapter 3. This is probably one of the most practical passages that I know. Helping us to understand and, and trust God as we should. In Proverbs 3, look at verse 5 and 6. Notice what the Bible says here. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths isn't that something it kind of goes against our wisdom because we think we have to understand everything and God said wait 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 don't lean to your own understanding just trust me trust me with all your heart I'm going to take care of this you know, we want to figure it out, don't we? Well, well, when are you coming? How are we going to get there? Where is it located? What are the coordinates? How far away is it? How long does it take to get there? We have all these questions. The songwriter said, we'll understand it better, better by and by. And that may be true. I think with some things, that is certainly going to be the case. Because when we get there, we'll have answers to all those questions. But you know, on the other side of that same thought, I think, guess what? I think there's some things that we're never going to understand. As a matter of fact, I think that um, when we get to heaven, those questions are not even going to be asked anymore. It's not, we're not even going to care about that stuff. I think there's a lot of things we're concerned about now that once we get into the reality of God and his heaven, <laughs> there are some things that, bother us now that won't bother us then they're just not even going to matter when we get there that's how good it's going to be he said in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths isn't that good when we're committed to God just as he's committed to us and we live in a way that acknowledges him and honors him notice the promise that goes with that it says he'll direct your paths you don't have to worry about being unstable and unfruitful and unproductive and all that stuff. Hey, he will take care of all that. The Bible says, commit thy ways, commit thy thoughts unto the Lord, and all thy works shall be established. That's great, isn't it? God takes care of his own. And he says right here, trust me. Not only am I going to prepare a place for you, but hey, I'm going to come get you. And I'm going to take you to that place. You know what? We don't have to fear the journey. He know, we know that he'll get us there. And then in verse 4, we have one more. Notice what he says. And whither I go, you know, and the way, 
you know. You know what this is? This is assurance. Because there are some things that God does want us to know so that we can have assurance, or some people would call it confidence. You know what? You should be confident in Jesus Christ, your Savior. And if you ask him to wash away your sins and forgive you, and you ask him to become a child of God, and you ask him to take you to heaven when you die, you should have confidence to know that he is going to do what he said. And that's what he's talking about here. He said, and whether, you, whether I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, Thomas, he was having one of those moments, you know. Well, sometimes we call them senior moments, but I don't think, I don't think Thomas was a senior. So he didn't have that excuse. We all forget things, and, and sometimes we all miss things. And in this case, that was their problem. The disciples were just missing the connection of some of the truths that Jesus was teaching them. And he didn't quite understand this process of going to heaven and, and eternal life and all of that. And so he said, Lord, how can we know the way? In verse 6, Jesus answered the question. That, that should give you confidence. Notice what he said. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. But how? By me. Hey, there's a lot of people that have a lot of ideas about how to get to heaven. And, and I want you to know they're very sincere about it. And I love that sincerity. But the problem is, you can be sincerely wrong. And when it comes to heaven, when it comes to eternity, that's not the place you want to find yourself. You don't want to be in the sincerely wrong category. Now, in order to find out the truth and be right about it and have that assurance and confidence, you have to be willing to put what you think aside and listen to what God said, what the Bible says. Because really it doesn't matter what you think and what I think. It's not, it, you know, our opinion is not what gets us there. It doesn't matter whether you're Baptist or Catholic or Presbyterian or Protestant or any of that stuff. Those labels don't get you there. Those are not the stepping stones that lead to heaven. But the Bible tells us plainly about eternal life and what we must do. I want to read a few verses. You're welcome to turn there. 1 John chapter 5 Verse 11, it says this, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. This is the record right here. You're holding it in your lap. The record book is the Bible. And John is telling us, hey, hey here it is. This is the record that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son, Jesus Christ. So notice the next verse. What does he say about it? How do you get it? He that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son of God hath not life. Well, that's pretty simple. Hey, if you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, then you don't have eternal life. I asked a young man one time, hey, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you ever received him in your heart? Do you have the Son? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I was born a Christian. I said, well, hey, that's great. Tell me about it. He said, yeah. He said, uh, yeah, we, my, my parents gone to church. He said, I, I've been carried to church all my life. I said, well, now that's good. But are we talking about church or about Jesus? He said, well, aren't they the same thing? I said, well, kind of, because we learn about Jesus, you know, at church. I said, but, but then in another way, kind of not, because the church is an institution and Jesus is a person. 
And you know you got church because your parents carried you there all your life. But when did you get Jesus? Because not everybody that walks in a church has Jesus. Uh, he said, uh, He said, well, I got Jesus probably when I was baptized. I said, oh, you've been baptized. He said, oh, yeah. I said, great, when did you get baptized? He said, well, I got baptized when I was a baby. I said, well, good, well, tell me about it. He said, well, well, I don't remember it. I said, oh, you don't remember it. How do you know you got baptized? He said, well, because my mom told me. I said, oh, I see. I said, well, that's good, but, you know, if you don't remember it, then I don't think that's the same as having Jesus because you have to choose Jesus. And if you don't know what's happening, then you can't make a choice. And I said, so that can't be the time that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior because you have to choose to do that. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If there's never been a time you receive Jesus Christ to get the Son, then you don't have eternal life. You know, that's one of the hardest things to get people to understand sometimes. The truth of the Bible message is this, that all people everywhere are lost until they get saved. So in other words, all of us, myself included, we were hell-bound until we were heaven-bound. Right? And so when you understand where you're headed... Oh my, without God, without Jesus, unless something changes, the Bible says I'm guilty of sin and headed toward hell. Oh no, something's got to happen to change course. And what is it? It's Jesus. When you turn to him and accept what he did on the cross and you ask him to save you, he pulls the lever, right? John 5, 24. He changes your course. You're now passed from death unto life. That transaction is made. Now you have the Son, verse 12. Now you have life. He that hath the Son hath life. Notice verse 13. John said, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may what? Know that you have eternal life. Isn't that good? He said, And that you may believe on the Son of God. I think John is saying here it's possible to know about God and you have not yet received Jesus as your Savior. You don't really know him in a relationship, personal way because you've never made that choice to accept him in your life and forgive you of your sins. So John said, I'm writing this so that, so that you who know about God, all right, he said, I'm writing this so that you know you can know, you can have confidence, you can have assurance that heaven is your home and that you can believe on the name of the Son of God, that you can trust him now as your Savior in order to have that assurance and that confidence. That's good, isn't it? Friend, we can have that same confidence. Once you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you can be assured that heaven is your home. That's what Jesus meant when he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, we can't get there by being good. We can't get there by joining the church, having church membership, being baptized. None of that will get you there. All those are good things. And we need to do all of those after we come to know Christ as our Savior. Amen? Because you know what? We don't do good things to get to heaven. We don't do good things in order to know God. We do good things because we know God. There's a difference, right? And I'm so glad that Jesus took the time to give us this hope, to give us the assurance, to teach us about trust. Aren't you? Truth for a troubled heart. Hey, let not your heart be troubled this morning. Put your faith in Christ. He will see you through. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Lord, this morning we love you today and we thank you so much for the power of Scripture and the precious promises of Christ in this passage. Lord, how you have given us truth and assurance in our hearts today. And we thank you for it. Now we ask, Lord, that you just stir our hearts and help us, Lord, as we look within. May we know you. May we have that assurance that heaven is our home. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.